Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, um, we are uh, ending this uh, this year. It's been a good year with a new series, as you can see. And um, man, I'm I'm excited about this one because we are going to the book of First Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, um, just jump over there right now. We're gonna we're gonna just get into it right away. We've entitled this series "Dear Church" because this is a letter to the church. And uh, as I think you will find out, is uh, while this letter was written to the people in the city of Corinth, and we'll talk about them and who they were and all the historical background of, of these people, we will see that this is, this is a letter that you're going to connect with as well as Valley Church. And uh, I pray connects and, and teaches us how to just live as the body of Christ here in this valley and um, be a people that um, just honor God with what we do and what we say. So why don't we just uh, have a word to get started with a word of prayer and um, just ask God to speak to us through his word, come around this meal of scripture that he, he's given us today and just, just, just take it in, okay? So let's pray together and ask God for his blessing over this time. Father, thank you that, uh, Lord, as we come to this, the end of this year, Lord, we recognize, man, your faithfulness and your goodness, God. There's so much that you've already taught us in your word, the, the different series that we've gone through here in the church uh, the 242 groups that, that have been so engaged this year. God, the, the different teaching that's happened in Valley Youth and Valley Kids, Lord. And as we, we just stand on the brink of a new year and we come to a new book of Scripture that, that uh, we trust you, you inspired, you wrote for the church. God, we, we just invite you into this time. We ask for you to teach us. We pray for open hearts right now for us to hear your word and receive it, God, and be changed. And we just thank you, God, for each one here. God, may your peace and your blessing be on them and uh, work individually. Lord, as we trust that you, you've gone before, you, you are just, um, we're, we're joining you in the work that you've already begun. And so we just trust that your word is going to just engage us in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if, uh, if you've opened up to that book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, let's just, let's just kick it off. Um, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It begins by saying, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now, right away, you, you, you kind of, as, as you read this, you, you'll notice if we were writing a letter today, we wouldn't open it the same way because the way that we write a letter is, and we wrote a lot of letters this Christmas season just saying thank you to everyone involved in the ministry here at Valley Church. And the way that we started each letter was we wrote, Dear so-and-so, Dear Cliff and Bree, you know, Dear you know, Kristen, Dear Jeff and Renee. We, we wrote these things and we, we wrote and we didn't say, John, I didn't, I didn't begin by saying Jonathan, pastor of Valley Church. You know, I didn't say that. I ended that way. We began by saying who the letter was to. But Paul, in that, and in that time, they, they did things a little bit backwards, and he begins by introducing himself. 
And that, that's what we want to talk about here, here at the beginning of this letter is, is who Paul was, okay? And so let's, let's just begin with, with this man, this big word, Paul. Who is he? We, we studied a lot about him already um, when, we, when we studied uh, the letter of, I think we were in 1 Timothy. Uh, we, we just ended that book. Um, that was the writer of that book as well. We studied a lot about his life. All that you need to know right now, even though we could do a whole history of his life in this, in this message, is that Paul knew these people. Paul knew these people in Corinth because we see in Acts chapter 18, Paul had planted a church there in Corinth. And he had lived there for over a year and a half. And so, so as he's writing to these people, just think, think about this. Just like we, we know each other, he knew all of them. And he knew the, the, the problems that they went through. He knew their children. He knew what they worked in, their, their, their professions. He, know, he knew all the family dynamics. He knew the culture of that city. Man, he, he'd spent so much time in their homes. He'd loved many of them to the Lord. Um, many of them he'd put into leadership in the church. And he cared deeply for them because he just lived life with them there in Corinth. And so he's writing this letter out, out of a place of relationship with them. I want you to know that at the beginning. And after living there a year and a half in Corinth, what we know is that Paul had left Corinth and moved over to plant, plant churches over in Ephesus. Um, and from there, when he was in Ephesus, he actually wrote a letter to them that actually has been lost. And he'll, he'll refer to that later on in this letter. He'll say, in my previous letter, he'll, he'll write about that. And we don't know what letter he wrote. We don't know what, the, what letter that was. It's been lost. But this letter was written because he'd received reports of some problems happening. Specifically in Chloe's, from, from the people in Chloe's household about disturbances that were in the church. And we'll talk about what that was next week in chapter 1, verse 11. But people were saying, basically, Paul, we've got some major problems happening here in the church. It'd be as if, you know, our elders would leave, leave the church here in Valley Church and, and maybe there would be some quarrels happening. Maybe, maybe, maybe marriages would be breaking apart. Maybe there would be, you know, things, you know, people wronging one another, unforgiveness happening. Um, sexually, people, people just going, doing whatever they wanted to and it being praised. And, and there's just problems happening in the church. And, and that's what they were writing Paul about and saying, Paul, there's some fires here you got to deal with this. you got to help us understand how to deal with these fires in the church. And that's what the letter of 1 Corinthians is, okay? Can I tell you, it, it actually reminds me of the favorite Christmas gift that I received this year. Can I share it with you? <laughs> so on Wednesday, family tradition is we try and get together with, with family, and usually we go up to Michigan uh, to, to, to Holland, Michigan, where my brother lives and where my mom's mom, my, my grandma, is. And we all gather in that central place. Well, this year we went up Wednesday, had family Christmas on Thursday, saw some cousins Thursday night. And um, we always open up presents. And every year, my dad has a special present that he wants all of us as the family to get. Maybe it was a book that was instrumental in his life that year. Um, maybe it was just something that just he wanted us all to have. Well, this year was no different. He had a gift for all of us kids. And, um, 
as we, as we opened up the gift, it confused us a little bit because as we, as we uh, unwrapped it and, and brought it out, what we realized was it was a fire blanket. <laughs> and we're like, we're like, is this a joke? Like, is this, is this like, are you, are you pulling something on us? And my dad proceeded with no joke, no joking at all to tell us about the importance of fire safety and having a, a plan for in case there is a fire in the house. And he said, and I wanted you all to have this fire blanket because if there's ever a fire or a grease fire on the stove, and he, he asked me to demonstrate it, that, you know, you can, you can pull the tabs here and, and bring out the blanket and you can throw it, throw it over, to, over top of the fire and that way the uh, fire will go out and you all be safe, okay? And then he asked us to also read the back specifically if your clothing is on fire, force the victim to the ground, wrap them in the fire blanket, and call for medical aid and treat for shock. All right. This was not a joke, just, just so you know, okay? And if you ever get the idea of wrapping yourself in a fiber, uh, uh, fire blanket, <clears throat> which I did that day, don't do it because it is made out of fiberglass, okay? <laughs> You'll be itchy all day long. All right. All that to say, as I was studying through this book of 1 Corinthians, what it showed me is that Paul is basically giving the church a fire blanket, saying there's fires that are going to happen in the church, there's problems that are going to happen, and here's how you use, use the Word of God, Here, here's how, how you follow Jesus, how to put out the fires that are happening in the church. And so, so get that image in your mind of, of why Paul is writing. He cares about them, just like my dad. He cares for us. He doesn't want there to be a fire in our home. He doesn't want a, us to, to be killed in a fire. And so he's giving the church a fire blanket. And that, that is, that's, that's why he wrote, to put out these fires. Okay, so notice again how he begins. Go, go back to that verse, that first verse. Do you have it up on the screen? You can just leave it up. Are we having problems back there? All right. So Paul, he says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to see this in your Bible. Some translations, they actually put the words um, to be. You see the words to be there in that sentence? They put them in italics. Um, some of you, you'll, you'll see that in your translation. I don't have that in the ESV. But um, some of them show it in italics to indicate that those two words, to be, were inserted into the text to make the English reading of the Greek, trans the, the, the Greek translation more understandable for us. But if we would take these inserted words out, I want you to see this. It says, Paul called by the will of God an apostle of Christ Jesus, called by the will of God, an apostle. See, when Jesus met Paul, at that time his name was Saul, um, he was in opposition to Jesus. He was actually thinking in his righteousness that, that killing off Christians and imprisoning them was doing a service to God. And there Jesus met him on the road to Damascus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he was blinded by the light. 
brought into the city of, of Damascus, and, and there a disciple named Ananias received a vision. And in that vision, it was a call that he was to give to, to Paul, telling him, Ananias, this man Saul, he is a chosen instrument of mine, it says in Acts 9, verse 15, to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. This was a call. He's a called apostle. And, and that's what we see in Scripture is whenever God wants to do a what, He first chooses a who. And it's no different in the church today. Man, when, when there's something that God wants to do in, in our valley, when there's something that God wants to do in our church, He raises up not just a what, but who. He raises up people. That's what He does. And that's who God, what God did to Paul, turned him into this, this person that was, that was against Christ, into, into a powerful force for Jesus Christ. And he calls him an apostle, okay? What kind of apostle is he? He is a called apostle. Paul knew he was not one of the 12, and oftentimes he was criticized for this. Oh, you're not Peter, you're not James, you're not John, and so what kind of authority do you have? And what he would respond back would see, he would say, well, I am a called apostle. I, I am not an apostle because of a popular election. I'm not an apostle because of the appointment of other apostles. I'm, a, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And that we see very clearly. And so it raises the question, what is an apostle of Jesus Christ? We'll cover it more in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians because he'll talk about that. But what I want you to know is that uh, the Greek word apostolos, the, the word that's translated apostle, actually has this idea of being a special ambassador, someone who goes on behalf of someone else, someone who is sent with the authority of someone else. So, so Paul, he is being sent to the church of Corinth as a special ambassador on behalf of Jesus Christ not only to the church, but also to the world and the churches that, that he planted, and to us today as we read the Word of God. He's an ambassador of Jesus Christ for us as we read Scripture today. And so let's take his words at that, as that. And so Paul, we, th we think from, from this first verse, Paul, he, he's opening up with these words. There's obviously a reason why he wrote these first words the way that he did and I think it's because he, he wanted us to see the authority that Jesus had given him to speak on his behalf as a special ambassador for him, for him to the church, okay? So keep on going, though. He says, and our brother, Sothenes. Now, who is Sothenes? That's a good question, okay? Now, there's a lot of conjecture on this one um, because Sothenes was a common name back then. But there's also some ideas that some people have, and I'll share, the, share them with you. Actually, there is a Sothenes that was mentioned back in the book of Acts when Paul was there, okay? If I take you back to Acts chapter 18, we see that uh, Sothenes was actually the head of the Corinthian synagogue, okay? And so um, when Paul actually first came to Corinth, the ruler of the synagogue, his name was Crispus. Well, Crispus converted, came to Christ along with his whole family, and then he resigned from his position, or he got fired. 
And Sosthenes was put into that position as the ruler of the Corinthian synagogue. And when they were trying to beat up Paul, the Roman government came in because they hated the Jews and actually used it as an opportunity to then beat up on the ruler of the synagogue whose name was Sosthenes. And so we hear, here we have the same Sosthenes, most likely, maybe, we don't know. It'd be very interesting, though, to hear the story. Now Sosthenes is not just the ruler of the synagogue, he's our brother Sosthenes. That's pretty cool. I'd love to hear that story if, if in fact, that, that is the story. I bet it's a good one. But that is Sosthenes for you. If you want to take that, take that for what it is. In verse 2, he goes on, though. Our brother Sosthenes, and then verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so let, let's talk about um, who this letter is written to. It begins by saying, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Okay, most people, let's talk about that word church, when they hear the word church, they think of a building where religious people gather. But back when Paul talked about, used that word church, which is the Greek word ekklesia, this was a secular word that actually referred to any kind of group of people that met for a specific purpose. Okay, and so it's kind of like Facebook groups. It's like, you know, you know a Facebook group for, you know, we love dogs or, or we love guns. Okay, I don't think those are allowed anymore on Facebook. But, you know, but it's those kind of groups that these people met for a purpose of gathering around something that they enjoyed, you know, like, like racquetball or pickleball or things like that. And, and that's what a group was back then. That was an ecclesia. Notice Paul didn't say to the ecclesia. He said to the ecclesia of God. And that's what the church is. We're not a, a social club. We're not a secular organization. We are the church of God. It is His church. We're gathered in His name around His gospel. Okay? And then notice it's not the only church. He, he goes on to say, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So these believers were gathered together. Um, let's talk about the city a, a little bit just to understand the context of, of where we are at this time. Corinth um, was actually one of, the, one of the greatest cities of the ancient world at that time. It was prosperous, it was busy, it was growing, and it had a reputation for the pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of pleasure. I can think of, of places in, in the U.S. that also have that kind of same reputation right now. It was also a center for sports, government, military, and business. And so when Paul came to Corinth around 50 AD, the city had already been famous for, for many hundreds of years before he was born. There was a few things that made Corinth famous, and I'm going to share some images of that. The first thing was Corinthian bronze. 
their kind of their pottery, and, and there you see a Corinthian helmet. Maybe maybe you watched that that uh, uh, movie Gladiator, and you saw a helmet kind of like that. Um, I don't know if that's made out of Corinthian bronze or not, but Corinthian bronze was something that was unique to that area. It was a mixture of gold and silver and copper, and it was highly valued, okay? Made the city famous. The second thing that made the city famous was their athletic competitions. And um, everyone's heard of the Olympics, but in Corinth, every off year from the Olympics, they had what was known as the Isthmian Games. And uh, this festival included athletic and musical competitions and um, was done to honor the god Poseidon, and I think that's the god of the sea, um, every two years, okay? So the off years when the Olympics happened, and I think the Olympics were in Athens, okay? So they're very close in proximity that those happened to one another. Third thing, that there's, there were temples that were built in Corinth, um, namely to the gods of Apollos, Hermes, Venus, and Isis. And there was also a temple there that was dedicated to all gods that was called the Pantheon. And so this was something that was very prominent there in Corinth. Also prominent was the worship of their Corinthian Aphrodite. And you've probably heard that, that uh, name of a god before, um, and this was a protector deity of the city of Corinth, but was also famous because it was the Greek goddess for sexual love, beauty, fertility, and she had more than 1,000 female prostitutes and priestesses that acted in her service daily. And so that is Aphrodite. Corinth was also, what we know, a major city of business, and namely because it was located out on uh, Isthmus, basically a, 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 um, a peninsula that had a very narrow point, and I'll, I'll have, have uh, them zoom in on, on the location of Corinth. You can keep on going in further and further, and you'll, you'll see that. Basically, this was located on this narrow neck of land that, that allowed ships to be able to cross, and you can see that channel kind of going through. Right now, there's a canal through it, but back then, it was a four-and-a-half-mile-long a four you know, piece of land that allowed ships to cross from one end of Corinth to another on land. They would actually, if the ship was small enough, they would port it, bring it up on land, use rollers to roll it across four-and-a-half miles to then allow it to go in on the other side. If the ship was too big, they'd unload the cargo, they'd transport it to another ship on the other side. And that allowed it so that the ships didn't have to go around a very dangerous peninsula, okay? And so as you can, can understand, um, uh, there was a lot of Navy men there, and they had a lot of time to kill as their ship was transported on land from one port to another, and so that, that made things very interesting and, and also allowed there to be a lot of, a lot of as, you, as you probably could uh, think, a lot of party, partying that happened in Corinth for those sailors and other people, a lot of, a lot of industry around that, um, for them to just enjoy their time off. So Corinth had a reputation. He had a reputation for partying, drunkenness, and loose sexual morals. And the term to live like a Corinthian was well known in the Roman Empire. It meant, and everyone knew it meant, to be sexually out of control. And that's what Corinth was. 
And so this was the deserved reputation for the city of Corinth. And it makes what Paul opens up with, you know, as, as he refers to them, very astounding because as, as we go back to the text, we, we see that he opens by saying, to the church of God that is in Corinth. And so here's contrasting something that's very good, the church of God, something that has a very bad reputation, Corinth. And so understanding this tension between the church and the city is actually very critical to understanding this letter that was written by Paul. There is a lot in this letter that is actually very unflattering to the Christians in Corinth. They're shown to at times have morality problems, doctrine problems, church government problems, spiritual gift problems, church service problems, authority problems. But Paul opens up by saying to the church of God that is in Corinth, and he follows that by saying he calls them to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Now, I want you to notice, remember, remember how, how the book opened with Paul, a called apostle? Okay, if you take out those words to be, and here we see those words to be in there again. You see him again those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And if we take out those inserted words to be, you can literally read it, Christ Jesus called saints together. Called saints together. And that, that's, that's important to note, that even though they had all these problems, even though they had such a bad reputation, even though we're going to see in verse 10, he's going to start giving it to a man. He's going to start hammering them with, with some truth He's saying, man, you're part of this covenant. You are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you are saints. You're not just, you're not called to be saints. You don't have to work for it because Jesus has done the work. You are saints. You are called saints. And so um, it's, it's actually interesting if, if you read in the book of Acts, there's, there's a point where Paul was, Paul was discouraged, and, and actually in Acts chapter 18, verse 10, God told Paul regarding the city of Corinth, he said, I have many people in this city. And Paul didn't think that there was a lot of people God had in his city. God told him, I have many people in this city. And that had to echo over and over again in Paul's ear. Because, man, when he faced discouragement, when he saw all these problems that were happening in the church, when he heard all these reports of bad things happening in this church of God, he had to remind himself about what God said about these people. I have many people in the city. And he did. Okay? Likewise, I would guess that you may feel that same way, maybe in your school, uh, maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your family. You know, you gather for family Christmas this, this week, and, and you're like, yeah, there's nobody else here. And, and maybe, maybe there isn't in your family. I don't know what it is. Or maybe, maybe you're feeling all alone in your school. Maybe you're feeling all alone in your work. But can I tell you, God may want to say that same thing to you. I've got people. I've got people there. You just may not see them. Just keep on being faithful. Keep on serving me, okay? Um, you may likewise also, like the Corinthians, feel like a spiritual failure. 
you may think, I, I, don't, I don't deserve this whole thing called, I, I feel like I'm called to be a saint. I don't feel like I'm called saint, a saint. But what God wants you to know is if you have trust in Jesus and you've placed your faith in him, he calls you a saint. It's, it's not as if salvation is by grace through faith and then you have to work for it on the back end, okay? Yes, faith without works is dead. James says that. But you don't earn your salvation through your works. You don't earn sainthood, righteousness through your works. That's, that's what Paul wants you to know. So you may be feeling uh, kind of like a spiritual failure right now, but um, just trust in the work of Christ. I think that's what Paul is trying to give to them before he starts teaching them, like, here's how God wants you to live. It's like, first depend on the grace of God. First trust in his work before your own. Okay, don't, don't think that the fixing everything in your life is going to make God love you more. He loves you already more than you could ever imagine. And he, he wants you to know that as well. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. And so that, that, that just spoke to me because sometimes I feel, feel that way, feel like a spiritual failure, feel like I'm not doing enough, feel like I, I should be better. And um, while Jesus calls me to follow him, he also tells me, man, you, you are loved, you're beloved as you are, okay? So, so receive that for, for what it is. Keep on going, though. Then he, he, keeps on, he keeps on going. He says, called to be saints together. And then he says, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He, he's, he's reminding them of their interconnectedness to one another and also to the larger body of Christ, okay? So notice that they're not the only church to the church of God that is in Corinth, okay? But also those who in every place, all people, all these people that have trusted in the message of the gospel, that have called on the name of Jesus. And there he's kind of laying this, this central theme that we're going to see throughout this letter. That is Christian unity based upon the common lordship of Christ, that, that a problem that they had was they, they had problems taking sides, dividing themselves. And what he's saying is, man, you are one in Christ. You have a unity that uh, the world cannot separate you from one another because of. You have a unity in Christ. And because you share a common Lord, Jesus, you share in that unity. And man, when, when we're tempted to divide around opinions of, of, you know, things that preferences. Man, I, I've seen so many sad things happen in churches where they divide about different things. Let's remind ourselves, man, we're connected because of our common Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know, the, the beauty of the church is actually it's, it's diversity. When we can see diverse people coming together under the Lordship of Jesus, that, that's a beautiful thing. And that shows the world there is a God, there is a God, man, when people can come together who, who have lots of different opinions, but they have the same Lord and they can worship together, okay? He goes on in verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot we could say. It's just really it's a customary greeting that Paul was giving to these people. Grace to you and peace. And just, just think about that. Grace is given first before there is peace, and that, that's a concept that we, we should receive as well, is that without grace, there is no peace. We can have no peace without the grace of God in our lives. 
And so, so he's, he's just reminding them of the gospel. Grace to you and peace um, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at that title that he gives Jesus. Because he doesn't just say, and, and Jesus. He doesn't just end with that, okay? 17 times Paul uses this phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, in this, in this, in this book. And um, rather than just saying the word Jesus... And so, so just understand, Lord Jesus Christ is not the first, the middle, and the last name. Jesus, okay, you don't come up to Jesus and say, hi, Mr. Christ, you know, that's, that's not what you do. Uh, let me just, just go through each word, okay? Lord is a word that actually uh, connects Jesus to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to his deity, um, to, to the way that he was seen in the Old Testament. It's, it's a title that proclaims his deity. He is Lord, okay? Second, he's Jesus. And Jesus is the name that was given to him, that was given to Mary and says, you'll bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus, okay? And then Joseph also adopted him as, as a son. And Jesus is actually the Greek pronunciation of the Hebrew word for Joshua. And Joshua Joshua means Yahweh is salvation, okay? So Lord and Jesus, and then the last name is Christ. And that's a Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah or anointed one. One that points, points to Jesus as being the fulfillment of the prophecies about the coming Messiah, okay? So he is Lord, he is Jesus, he is, he is Christ, he came to save and deliver us. And so when we say Lord Jesus Christ... We are saying, literally, you are Yahweh, you're God, you're my Messiah, okay? You're, you're, you're my salvation, and uh, you, are, you are my Savior, my Deliverer, the promised Messiah. All those things you're saying when you're saying, Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, after greeting, then he gives a blessing. And let's read that blessing all, all in one, one stroke. Uh, verse 4 We'll, we'll read that, and it's a breath, blessing and a prayer of thanksgiving. Let's read that together. He says, I give thanks to my God always because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Then in every way, you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this blessing, this prayer of thanksgiving is actually pretty astounding because when Paul looked at the Corinthian church, he, he could say these things. He could say, um, man, th these are people who proclaim Jesus, they know about Jesus, they, they are empowered with supernatural gifts, um, they, um, they also are excited about Christ's return. And so whatever problems that they had, this, this is a pretty strong list of positives that they have, okay? And so, so while we read through the rest of the book, I think what you're going to see is you're going to be tempted 
to think of yourself and maybe think of, you know, our church as, as not having, you know, we don't have the problems of, of the church of Corinth, okay? But I think a better way to approach this is, do we have the positives, though, that Paul says we're in the church of Corinth? Are, are, are we using our spiritual gifts? Do we proclaim Jesus? And are we devoted to him? Are, are we looking forward to his, his return, okay? Do we have the positives that they had, okay? And then, and then verse 7, I just want to point out verse 7, and, and, um, because I, I think that this speaks to us as well. Um, in verse 7, Paul says, you're not lacking any gift. You're not lacking any gift. He's thanking God for the gifts that he saw just used, used in the church of Corinth. Um, even though we're going to see some of them were causing trouble, he recognized that the gifts were not the problem. Um, it, was, it was the misuse or the wrong attitudes, or the, the, the wrong beliefs about these gifts. And uh, Spurgeon, he, he actually says on this, I was, I was reading his commentary on it, he says, should it not show us that the gifts are nothing, Gifts are nothing unless they are laid on the altar of God. That it is nothing to have the gift of oratory. That it is nothing to have the power of eloquence. It's nothing to have uh, learning. It's nothing to have influence unless they are all dedicated to God and consecrated to His service. This church was incredibly gifted. They had all those things but they had a lot of problems. And so likewise, I think that this is instructive for us at Valley Church, is that, um, man, we, we could have the most gifted communicators, and we do. We have a lot of gifted communicators. I love sharing, sharing the pulpit and us enjoying that. We could have a lot of gifted communicators. We could have the most dynamic teachers. We could have the most dynamic singers and, and leaders. Um, we could have the most excellent directors of ministries. And yet use our gifts with the wrong attitudes, actions, and beliefs and miss the grace of God. And so it's a warning against that. In verse 8, he says, Who will sustain you to the end? guiltless to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul praises God for the positives. But man, as, as we see verse 10, if you read on to verse 10, man, um, he's just going to express confidence that God is going to cover and work through their weaknesses. Why? Verse 9, because God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom you were called into fellowship into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. How could Paul be so confident with this church that had so many problems? Because God is faithful. And that's the gospel. He brings it all the way back to the gospel. He gets, he gets his eyes off of each other and what we can do, and he gets his eyes up, up on Jesus. He says, Jesus is faithful. He has been faithful he is faithful. He will be faithful. And that's, that's for us to receive as well. He has. He is. He will be. In this new year we're entering in, man, there may be a lot of fear that you're entering it with, and um, God is faithful. He will take care of it. He will take care of you. If he watches over the sparrow, he will watch over you. He will watch over his church. And let's just remind ourselves about that.
Um, that's what Paul is calling his church toward as, as he ends this, this prayer of thanksgiving. And um, I believe that that's, that's God's invitation for us as we enter into this new year. Jesus' invitation is simply, come follow me. Come to me, he says, and come follow me. And uh, when there's points where you feel inadequate or you feel shame, um, just remind yourself of his grace. Like God is faithful, even though you're unfaithful. His letter to you is, is just about the grace of God and the goodness of God. And so as we close, let's, let's just remind ourselves of that. Read, reading those last verses again, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Why don't we close in prayer and um, just ask God to just, just grow us and teach us as we move throughout this new year. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your gospel. Lord, and we thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord, that even though we are weak, you are strong. Lord, even though we are often unfaithful, God, you prove yourself to be faithful. And you say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, Lord, we invitation, and we thank you, God, for just, uh, just coming into our presence this morning through your word, for using your uh, Apostle Paul to just bring this message to your church today. God, continue to grow us and teach us in this new year. Help us to rest in your goodness. And Lord, as, as I think about everyone that's gathered here together today, Lord, um, what better way to start off a new year than just to devote our life to you and just say, Lord, whatever it may be that you want me to do, whatever you want, whatever your plans are, we open up our hands to you, we give them to you, and we thank you, God, for your faithfulness in this past year. We're grateful, Lord. God, you've shown us so much love and you continue to do that. God, I also think about those that may be here not knowing your grace, um, maybe for the first time hearing the message of the gospel. Simply this, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And so, Lord, if there's anyone that would like to just receive you as Lord and Savior today, God, I want to just give them that opportunity to call upon you Lord, you, you say to call, call upon you, Lord, um, that while, we're, while we were weak, you died for us, while we're still yet sinners, that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's our hope. So, Lord, I give this time just to allow people to call upon you, confess their sins to you, and put their faith in you, Jesus, as their salvation. Thank you for the rejoicing that is in heaven for one soul that is saved. God, thank you for your gospel. Bless us in this week, we pray. And uh, Lord, we love you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for this special time together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. 
There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ. 